Welcome to Indivisible Westchester, the podcast. I'm Shannon Powell. Today, Battleground New York, how the fight for control of the House majority runs through New York. New York was supposed to be a blue firewall. Instead, it's one of the most heavily contested states in the entire country and could be the place where control of Congress is decided. Holding on to the House majority remains an uphill battle for Democrats. Republicans only have to win six seats to take back the House. Redistricting has changed the political landscape here in New York. New maps created more competitive districts all across the state. According to Cook Political Report, there are six New York House seats in play this cycle that could go either way, creating a real battleground. Nationally, Democrats need to win virtually all of their toss-up districts and flip some seats in order to retain a majority. Democrats simply can't keep their majority without winning these competitive races in New York. Today, we're going to talk about what it's going to take for Democrats to net those wins. I'd like to welcome Bruce Campbell. Bruce is active with Indivisible Westchester. He's a member of our steering committee and is also active within the Westchester County Democratic Party. Great to have you here, Bruce. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. All right, let's start with Westchester because this is our home base. We aren't used to having competitive seats in our county, but the race in New York 17, which covers areas of Westchester, let's say roughly north of 287, made that quick political report list. Um, Let's get into a little background. So New York 17 is the district currently held by Mondaire Jones, but post redistricting, Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney who now represents New York 18, said he was running in 17 because with these new lines, that's where Maloney resides. Jones opted to run for an open seat in the city. Maloney, a Democrat, faces Michael Lawler, a state assemblyman who worked for Rob Astorino and was also a Trump delegate. Um, This district went for Biden by about 55%, so not a huge huge margin. Bruce, how has the district changed and what do you think makes it more competitive? Well, um, you know, you mentioned it pretty much, uh, redistricting. Redistricting is the main thing. This used to be a reliably blue district. District 17 was where Nita Lowy served for years and years and years and just came back. And we just accepted that Nita is our congressperson. Uh, 17 now is much more purple. Uh, It used to include more of central and southern Westchester, and it stopped in the north right at the Westchester County line. Now the district is being, after redistricting, is being squeezed north into Putnam County. It includes now towns like Pauling and Brewster and Highland Falls, more conservative areas that uh, had not been in the district previously. So we lose the Democratic votes in southern Westchester, and we have to deal with more Republican votes in Putnam County. That alone makes it more competitive. Uh, In addition to that, the Republicans this year have put up a strong candidate. Uh, Michael Lawler is a political pro. He's um, a young guy, uh, attractive. He comes across as much more moderate than his record actually indicates. Um, So he's somebody who's gonna be tough to beat, Um, making it much more competitive. Uh, You mentioned the Cook Political Report. Cook Political Report lists this district as leaning Democratic, not even likely Democratic, but only leaning Democratic. And that's quite a switch from those days when Nita Lowy was a shoe in. 
Right. And speaking about Westchester, and this is where this lean Democratic comes into play. I mean, White Plains used to be a part of 17. That's a big base of votes. And that's out. That's right. As you mentioned, the district is now pretty much north of 287. So if you live south of the Tappan Zee Bridge, you're not in 17 any longer, but north of it, you are. So how important is winning Westchester then going to be for Maloney? He has a small section of Westchester now, mainly Bedford, in his current district of 18. But why can't he take this district for granted? And what's it going to take for him to become more known to voters here in Westchester? Um, well, as you know, uh, the Demi District 17, as you know, is much more uh, large geographically than it used to be. The population, when you get up north into Putnam County, is much more spread out. So Maloney's going to have to cover a larger uh, piece of property, piece of territory, in order to campaign and to get his name out there, uh, as well as Rockland County. Rockland County is a large part of Rockland County, is also covered in the district. Uh, but one of the most important things is that 17 is becoming a really important district nationally. Uh, Maloney heads the uh, DCCC, and that makes him part of the Democratic leadership in the House. If Republicans can deny Maloney a seat, it's going to be a huge win for them, a big feather in their cap. And it'll be that way regardless of the eventual makeup of the House. They're going to claim victory if they can beat somebody who's in Democratic leadership. So they're making a really big effort to win this election. Um, Kevin McCarthy, for example, is coming to Westchester this coming week to head a fundraising drive for Michael Lawler. So that's an indication of how important the district and this election is to Republicans. So it's very competitive and um, it's certainly something that we can't take for granted. Yeah, Republicans are definitely making a play for it. I mean, they haven't they haven't scratched this off their list. Uh, they are being competitive. And as you said, Kevin McCarthy is holding fundraisers to help Michael Lawler out. So they are doing what they can. What do you think is the biggest challenge in this race, Bruce? Well, uh, the biggest challenge probably is the biggest challenge that it always is, and that's apathy. Uh, voters in the district who think, oh, well, we're in the 17th district. That's a blue district. That's something we can rely on. Nita always been our congressperson forever. Um, we don't have to worry about that district and people who just aren't aware of the competitive nature of the district um, and really don't come out to vote because of that. Um, so people not realizing that this is no longer a gimme district is probably the biggest, um, the biggest challenge that we face. Um, another challenge that we face, I think, is lingering resentment over the primary election. Uh, there was a pretty hotly contested primary race between Alessandra Biaggi and Sean Patrick Maloney. Biaggi put up a pretty aggressive campaign. There were some pretty strong words were exchanged from both sides. Some mailers went out that, um, you know, were pretty negative from both from both campaigns. And there are some people who have lingering resentments against Sean uh, who had supported Biagi, who might have lingering resentments against Sean because of that. Um, Biagi is doing everything she can, I think, to put that aside. She's come out very strongly in support of uh, Sean for in the general election. She was at a, attended a rally of his this past week. Um, but people, progressives who were supporting Alessandra, have to realize that there's only one candidate now, and we all have to come together if we're going to elect that one candidate, defeat Republicans, and hold on to the House. We can't make, as the old line goes, we can't make the perfect 
the enemy of the good. Um, in addition to resentments over the primary, some people hold resentments against Sean because he ran in the 17th at all. Uh, he represents, as you mentioned, the 18th district now. He could have run in 18, uh, but he chose to run in 17. As you mentioned, that's where he lives now. But um, by running in the 17th district, he pretty much big-footed Mondaire Jones out of the district and forced Mondaire to run in a district in New York City um, where he lost. Uh, Mondaire was very popular up here in our district in 17, and some people were upset with Sean for running in that district and running against him. Um, but, you know, as I said, those things have to be put aside. We all have to lick our wounds, come together, and understand that if we're going to win, we may have lost the battle, but we can still win the war. And winning the war is holding on to the House. And the only way of doing that is by electing Sean in the 17th. Exactly. And I did notice that Alessandra in that rally, uh, her messaging was the road to the House majority runs through New York. And this is something that we've been saying as activists for several months now. It's good to see the media, you know, and, and the candidates themselves, former candidates actually reiterating this point, because again, we can't take any of these districts for granted. And because of redistricting, the nature of what's happening in these districts and the competitiveness of these districts is much different. So the old rules don't apply now. So we all have to kind of change our thinking, including activists in terms of what we do to help get out the vote in these districts. But Bruce, what do you think is motivating voters in New York 17? Uh, you know, it's probably the same things that are motivating Democratic voters all over. Uh, the Roe v. Wade decision, you know, and uh, the very strong, intense emotions against that, rightly. Uh, that's going to be, I hope, I believe, a very strong motivating factor. So the abortion issue, gun safety, the general threat to democracy uh, that we face these days from Really, I, Republicans are just extremists. The Republican Party is an extremist party. There's just no way around it. We said Democrats may not be perfect, but Republicans are just nuts. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what's going to get voters out is going to be those particular key issues uh, and the absolute necessity of holding on to control of the House. If we don't want to have these extremist Republicans running roughshod over the national policy for the next at least two years. Um, so I, you know, I think that's all true. Uh, what you said before, I think too, is also very true. Uh, some of the, you hear in the national press about some elections outside of New York state, Pennsylvania is a big one, it neighbors New York. And certainly Pennsylvania is an important race, uh, important races for governor, for Senator and for house seats in Pennsylvania. And a lot of people are saying, we've got to go to Pennsylvania and we've got to, you know, campaign in Pennsylvania. We got to elect Fetterman in Pennsylvania. We got to elect Josh Shapiro governor and we have to help them out. Well, that may be true, but if we lose these races here in New York, right at home in our backyard, none of that's going to matter. So we have things right here in our backyard that we can uh, work on, that we can do, that will help us ensure that we maintain control in Washington. And uh, I completely agree with you. That's really where our focus and where our energies have to be in these last six weeks. Right. And I think you said an important thing where there are candidates like Michael Lawler um, who you know, mask themselves 
in this cloak yeah. of being moderate but when you really rip off you know rip off that cloak yeah. you see that they they uh, michael lawler if he's elected kevin mccarthy's here he's going to pass he's going to follow a kevin mccarthy agenda which is going to be an extremist agenda with your marjorie taylor green and you know in leadership and all this other kind of crazy stuff so if you're voting if you're voting for him that's what you're voting for i mean it's literally going to be the party of kevin mccarthy and elise stefanik who also has become a real, you know, extremist Republican. Um, so Bruce, this is the most important thing. We're talking about how voters have to get out. They can't take this this district for granted. How can how can people help out here in New York 17? What can they do? Well, there um there are a number of things. Um there are phone banks that are being held every Tuesday and Wednesday for Sean. Um uh Joe Mayhew and his union people are uh, sponsoring a lot of the these, uh, some phone banking. Uh, you can turn out and do phone banking. There are canvases that are being run every weekend. You can go out and knock doors. Um, money is always a thing that can that can help. Um, I would go to go to Sean Patrick Maloney's uh, website. Um, follow him on Facebook. There are places where you can sign up to volunteer there to do all of these things: to phone bank, to text, to uh, canvas, to knock on doors, um, send postcards. All of these things are important. Um, and again, I would go to the I would go to his website. His campaign is very good. His campaign is very organized and uh, is really working hard to get out the message. But they need people. They need help. As I said, our you know one of our biggest problems in this election, uh, certainly uh, certainly in seventeen, is probably going to be one of apathy. You know, people taking it for granted. And we need people to get out there and remind their neighbors and friends that um, it's not a done deal. Uh, you mentioned Mike Lawler. He, he is a political pro. He's been around. He was once the head of the Republican Party in New York State. He worked for Rob Astorino, ran, one of, ran Rob Astorino's uh, campaign for governor. Um, he was a Trump delegate. So he's definitely a right wing uh, crazy. <laughs> Even though he is clothed in this sort of moderate, uh, you know, demeanor, um, he's a nice guy. You know, these guys who come across as nice guys, yet they're against a woman's right to choose. They're against gun safety. Um, they're against all of these things that are going to make us have a better society. And um, they hide that, you know, and it's up to us to make people aware of that and make them realize what's really at stake in this election. Yeah, we can't be fooled. And I also want to just mention that um, we have links to all this information on our website, which is uh, indivisiblewestchester.org. So you can check it out there. Also, um, Maloney is is uh, part of a coordinated campaign that Kathy Hochul is doing. The state Democratic Party is running what's called a coordinated campaign. Right. And that means that they are teaming up with different candidates in these districts to get out the vote. So if you're canvassing in Westchester, you can be canvassing for Kathy to help her race for governor. Because again, that that's important. Running against uh, you know another Republican extremist in the gubernatorial race, and so you can go in New York 17. You can help Kathy. You can help Sean out. So uh, those links again are on our website. And um, yeah, it's going to take all of us uh, doing what we can. It's also different because I think people, because in 20, there was, there really wasn't canvassing. So it's again, just getting right. 
back into the groove of, or there was limited canvassing of, yes, we can knock doors and we can have more of this, you know, voter, um, one-on-one voter contact uh, that was, you know, limited and even during the presidential election. Um, so, you know, it's definitely important that we get out the vote. Bruce, thank you cool. so much. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned this. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned this coordinated campaign that, that was started by the Hochul campaign, but it's a great thing to do. It's something that we should always be doing. So if you go out and canvas, you don't just canvas for Kathy Hochul. You don't just canvas for Sean Patrick Maloney. You don't just canvas for your local state Senate candidate. You canvas for all of them in your area. You go out with three or four different candidates and you say, yeah, here's who you should vote for for governor. Here's for, for, for Congress, here for Senate. And it's in, you know, in your particular district. So in one shot, you can help out three, four different candidates at one time. So that's good. And of course, I should have mentioned the Indivisible Westchester website. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can find all of that information there. Yep, yep. Our webmaster, Lauren, has done a terrific job of getting all that information up. Yeah, so we need to vote for Democrats up and down the ballot. And then also just quick mention, uh, flip the ballot and vote yes for this environmental bond. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. A number of these competitive races are in upstate New York. Judith Hunter joins us now. She's the chair of the Democratic Rural Conference of New York State. Judith, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Shannon. I want to start by talking about the big picture upstate in these districts before we really delve into the specific races. You once said to me that voters in rural districts care deeply about congressional races. Why are these federal elections so important to voters? Well, I think that um, everyone understands the importance of national control of both houses of Congress at this point. At least I hope they do, uh, because we've certainly seen what a positive difference democratic control can make. And Republicans are certainly telegraphing a fairly draconian future um, if they retake control. And we know that the road to retaining the majority runs through upstate New York. Um, It's site of two of the most uh, closely fought races in the entire country. Um, Nate Silver in 538 put the 22nd and the 19th in the top five races consistently is most competitive. And and the 22nd is ranked number one right now. So um, clearly uh, people know that it's, it's such a mistake to just say, oh, New York's a blue state. We don't have to worry about anything. That couldn't be further from the truth once you get north of Westchester, shall we say. Um, So people understand, absolutely understand that we are the battleground. And it's energizing, but it's also, um, it's anxiety inducing because um, we've seen the Republicans become much more extreme. We've seen someone like Elise Stefanik, who pitched herself as a Main Street Republican, who, you know, touted her bipartisan credentials, 
become a full-blown, fire-breathing, extreme MAGA zealot. Um, and let's let's not give her credit for originality. Uh, <laughs> she's reflecting, uh, to a certain extent, what is happening to the Republican base. And we know that that base isn't everybody. Uh -huh. um, but that means we've got to really stand up for our candidates, really stand up for our values um, and, and push back and say, no, this is not New York. So what are the issues that voters most care about? What are you finding? What are they saying? Um, well, the economy is always huge. Um, but, you know, Republican extremism and what that means for our freedoms, that that has assumed an importance in this cycle that I've never seen before. Um, now, I, I've always been a bit of a Cassandra. I've always seen the uh, the uh, potential for Republicans to go in the direction that they've chosen. Mm -hmm. um, but now it's become very obvious. And and that is very motivating. So what when you talk about the Republican extremism and you talked about Elise Stefanik, what are some other examples of the extremism that you see, you know, uh, more in these upstate districts that people downstate might not notice or might not be aware of? Um, there are parts of New York. Um, I might live very near to them where um, people are afraid to put out Democratic signs. Hmm. People are afraid to publicly identify themselves as Democrats. Um, there are confrontations at community festivals where someone, uh, you know, tries to assert that Joe Biden is not president, uh, where paraphernalia about Brandon and all the expletives that go with that uh, are for sale at community events. Um, it's it's really very, very noxious mm -hmm. and very in your face. And it's become more and more common. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that is more common in Western upstate New York mm -hmm. um, than it is to the East. But it, it's been spreading west to east. And those of you who haven't seen it will probably see it soon. Right. So it's spreading. How does redistricting make it harder for Democrats, you know, especially given this environment with, you know, the Republican extremism being, you know, much more in your face and it being harder, frankly, as you said, to, you know, identify as a Democrat in some areas of New York? Um how does then redistricting make it harder or easier for Democrats to win or even be competitive in the districts within the rural conference? Well, this was a disadvantage for everybody, but everybody is short on time. Everything had to get started very late. Um, and, you know, you see that in campaigns, um, that, that really haven't um, had the time 
to um, do the fundraising and the networking that that is so vital in the year before. Um, we didn't know our districts till what was it Memorial Day? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so that is running in 18 in November. It's a district that voted for Biden by nearly 10 points. During the special election, and, and this was closely watched by people all over the country, Ryan successfully used abortion as a wedge issue. Uh, he talked about the right-wing attacks on our freedoms and the need to fight for our democracy. So he really, really uh, went all in on those three points. Judith, how do you see the race playing out? Do you think that um, Ryan can beat Schmidt in 18, kind of using these same tactics? I think so. I, I think those issues remain top of mind for everyone. Um, choice is not just a blip on the radar. Choice is a change in the landscape. It is something that has motivated young voters, female voters, um, people who do not want the government telling them what to do, gee, um, there's a lot of inconsistency on that, isn't there? Um, so I really think that Ryan can continue to be successful. And I think he's fortunate in the fact that uh, he's got a pretty, pretty uh, out there opponent, um, someone who can't pass himself off as a moderate. Um, but one of the things I'd stress for all of the districts is we can't let Republican candidates try to pass themselves off as moderate. Mm -hmm. Would these candidate candidates vote for Elise Stefanik in the House leadership? Right. You know, would they support Kevin McCarthy, who's number one agenda item seems to be investigate Hunter Biden and nothing else, um, or take away student loan aid, uh, increase prescription drug costs for seniors. I mean, that's the agenda that they're buying into as Republicans, no matter how much they try to sell themselves as moderates. A national abortion ban, Elise Stefanik is co-sponsoring that. Wow. Um that we cannot allow them to try to run away from the positions of their party. Right. So now let's talk about 19. You know, this is one of these key toss up races nationally, both 19 and 22, which we'll get to in a minute. It It, it is a district that went for Biden by a narrow margin. He got 52 percent in 2020. So it's kind of like a it's a toss up, but it's slightly toss up in the Democratic category. Um, this is uh, where Josh Riley is now facing Republican uh, Mark Molinaro Molinaro lost to Ryan in the special. Again, we're talking about 19, and now he faces Riley, again, the musical chairs. But what do you think about this matchup? What's the key to win in a purple district like this that's just so close? Well, is it I, the I, same I, like it is, you know, in, in 18? Is it similar? Well, you know, Molinaro is the kind of poster child for um, the the moderate who tries to uh, be untouched by his party's unpopular positions, but you can't allow that. Right. You simply cannot allow that um, because a vote for Mark Molinaro 
is a vote for Kevin McCarthy and Elise Stefanik and all the rest of their program. Um, that's first and foremost. Um, but I, I see in that district in the in the 19th, um, a real emphasis on Josh Riley's part for bringing jobs back. Mm. Josh grew up in the district and and talks very, very um, uh, movingly about, you know, how he watched his friends' families have to move away as the jobs disappeared, as factories closed. Um, so he he has a very strong program on bringing jobs back um, to this part of the state, which is kind of, it, it it's kind of a betwixt and between district. Um, it, it, in some ways, is Catskills, almost, you know, New York, Hudson Valley oriented, but in other ways, it's Rust Belt. Um, mm -hmm. And and Josh understands the importance of not just jobs but careers hmm. of of um, providing opportunities so that people's children don't have to move away. Hmm. I mean, you know, the story of upstate is the story of people like me who have a hole in their hearts because their kids live in North Carolina or you know some other place and um, they can't see their grandkids unless they get on an airplane kind of thing. Um, and, you know, in small town, New York, we want to be able to see our grandkids grow up. Everybody does, of course, but, but, you know, that's an expectation. Um, and it's one that hasn't been able to be fulfilled. And, and somebody like Josh understands that and um, has really, made that a centerpiece of, of his campaign. Um, Choice is extremely powerful in this district as well. Choice is a motivator everywhere. Hmm. Choice has changed everything. The Dobbs decision shows that, first of all, the party in power is not necessarily the Democrats. Control of the Supreme Court has put the Republicans in the driver's seat on so many things we care about, the environment, the West Virginia case, um, gun safety, um, and obviously choice. Um, it's, it's hard to make any claim that any of this is the fault of Democrats. This is the fault of the Republicans and their extremism. And their extremism has brought us to the brink on so many fronts, and it is motivating everyone. So uh, I just want to, because you brought up, you know, Roe and just how how much it resonates. Does it resonate more with women and, and for, you know, these upstate districts? Is it more women? Like who's deciding who's deciding these races? Is it more of the women who are heading to the polls who are going to make the difference? Or what do you think? Yes, I think so. Um, just you know, anecdotally, I see senior citizen females on my Facebook feed who've never posted anything political in their life, and I'm pretty sure they've never voted for anybody other than a Republican, posting Ruth Bader Ginsburg memes. Wow. You know, um, this 
This is something that um, people are very, very upset about. It feels like a huge step backwards. And people who are older and, and you know, I, I put myself there as well, um, upstate districts skew older. Mm -hmm. And um, we understand that taking this huge leap backwards means that any woman can be denied a promotion, denied a, a, a job offer, uh, because that boss is going to think in the back of their head, well, if they get pregnant, you know, um, it's, it's, it's more than just um, theoretical. It is, it is something that shapes our abilities to move as equals mm -hmm. in American society. And all of a sudden that guarantee has been ripped away. We are very lucky to live in New York state, but the Republicans are making it clear that they don't want to let states' rights govern this if they get a chance to do it nationally. And yes, the first national proposal is 15 weeks, this Lindsey Graham plan, but I think the the news of the past several months since the Dobbs decision has shown us that after 15 weeks, that's when the medical tragedies take place. Mm -hmm. That's that's not about choice. That's about humanity. Right. And and it is just unconscionable that this is even being discussed. And Elise Stefanik raised her hand and said, oh, pick me, pick me. I want to co-sponsor that. Yep. We're here. The moment is now. Um, let's talk about New York 22 now. Democrats have a voter advantage there. Biden won with 54% of the vote. Um, the district now includes Syracuse. John Katko's retiring. Claudia Tenney, who currently is the rep there, is running in a redder neighboring district. Again, musical chairs. Um, it's also an open seat. Democrat Francis Canole is uh, running against Republican Brandon Williams. How do you sum up this seat in this race? Um, my my one sentence summation of this is Republicans in disarray. <laughs> How so? Um, well, I like that. Um, I, I, I like the way that sounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do too. Um, More of that, please. Hashtag that. Yeah. Um, Williams was not supposed to win that primary, that Republican primary. Uh, it was a shocker. All the powers that be had uh, been promoting someone else. And this ultra MAGA extremist Republican um, ended up winning the primary. Um, John Katko, the retiring congressman, announced yesterday he's not going to be endorsing in this race. Wow. So he he cannot bring himself to endorse Williams. Um, that says a lot. Right. Um, the Oneida County Republicans reorganized earlier this week, and they expected it to be so contentious that they asked for county sheriffs to be there. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's not it's not um, 
a, a race that's a slam dunk for us by any means. Um, it's it's the number one most competitive races uh, race in the country according to five thirty eight. Um, but we we have some things going for us, and Fran Canole has um, been working this district uh, for a couple of cycles now. He's very well known. Um, and he's, he's got a good program and, you know, the other guys are just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and, you know, that make, that makes it easier. And in some ways it also makes it harder. I think it's almost a double-edged sword in in some ways, because, you know, you're dealing with, with, uh, you're dealing with things that aren't right, you know, the irrational, um, and that can bring out the irrational people. Um, do you think that, would you, would you, kind of put this in the category of more toss up Republican or toss up Democrat. Cause I I've seen people, I've seen it kind of both ways. What's your gut? My gut is that it's toss up Democrat. Mm, that's good. You know, I think Onondaga County um, being wholly within this district is, is huge for us. So that's going to really be that. So the key is really going to be turning out the vote there. Um. Yes. Yes. And holding down the margins in the more rural counties. So there are a couple of other notable Democratic candidates running in seats that are redder, um, that'll be harder for Democrats to win. We just talked about the three seats, which are the most competitive on paper and seem to favor the Republicans. But I do want to talk about Democrat uh, Max Delapia, who's challenging Republican Nick Langworthy in 23, and Matt Castelli's taking on Elise Stefanik, mm-hmm. um, who we know a lot about, uh, Elise, uh, the face of the New York Republican Party in many ways, who's just a MAGA Republican now. Um, that's in 21. Do you think that these districts can be competitive over time with the right Democrats running? I mean, these seem to be two pretty strong Democratic candidates for districts that I would think it would be hard to recruit candidates, especially with such a short runway. It would be exceedingly difficult to recruit good candidates like this um, to run. Yeah. Um, well, you could tell Matt Castelli was serious about this race. When um, all the musical chairs were happening, he decided he'd he'd put his roots down. Well, he would um, he he would make his residence wherever Elise Stefanik's residence was, so that you know, however the lines were drawn. And then, of course, what happened is Stefanik got drawn out of her district, and and um, you know, so she had to move. Uh-huh. But. Um, the musical chairs. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, the ironic thing is that if Elise Stefanik and Paul Tonko swapped houses, they would both be in their new districts. Um, anyway, um, Castelli is a very credible candidate, as is Max Delapia, and they both bring national security cred um to a race where that's an important value uh for most of the voters um Max Delapia was career air force um and he is a genuinely sincere good person whereas Nick Langworthy is a hasn't had a job outside of being a political operative ever uh and you know what 
what credentials does he have for actually governing? Um, he's he's a hack. He's a political hack. And and Max is uh, someone who I, exemplifies the the ideal of service. Mm-hmm. Um, and Matt Castelli has also made service to the nation his career. Um, and he's a very dynamic character. Um, he's certainly someone who, um, understands the dangers of ceding the ground to an extremist like Elise Stefanik. Um, and he also understands that the people of the North country deserve someone who is not running for reelection just to burnish her cred with the party, but someone who wants to represent the people of the 21st district. Um, that's um, this, a similar situation with Max in the 23rd. So, um, you know, we've got genuine people. They've got folks who are positioning themselves for either a career on Fox or some kind of you know, Republican celebrity, uh, rather than the actual hard work of governing. Right. So Judith, what would you say is the number one thing that people listening to the podcast could do to help in these districts? Because that's the one thing that we always like to focus on, like, how can you be active? And how can people make a difference? Because these districts are so critically important to control of the house, uh, to the New York delegation, to democracy, our freedoms, they matter. So how can people help make a difference? They are. Um, but the, these races, um, need resources. Um, one of the catch 22s we have is that nationally people say, Oh, that's New York. We don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. And, as you know, we've been discussing that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, these are very, very important and, and hard fought races. Um, but you know, the late start often means that the, the fundraising hasn't had as much time to, uh, gel and, and all of those things. Um, people could come and knock doors, you know, Take a foliage trip to the Adirondacks and knock in New York 21. Take a foliage trip to the Catskills and knock for uh, Josh Riley. Um, these these are things that that could uh, be very helpful, um, particularly since you'll have New York license plates. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, you know, and it's if not you don't right. have a car, you can phone bank from home, you know, so uh, you can texting, you can write postcarding, every, everything, Donate. everything. So so anything and everything people can do matters, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially in some of these races that are going to be so close. Um, And, you know, for what it's worth, Democrats don't perform as well on turnout when it's not a presidential. We know that as a historical thing, hopefully... um, Dobbs will disabuse people of of that tendency, uh, but 
we do need to motivate Democrats. We do need to get Democrats out. It's going to take um, resources. It's going to take people power. Um, it's going to take a lot of energy and anything you have to spare, we could use. That's great. Anything else you'd like to add before we wrap? Um, well, one of the things I would say that people don't realize is there, there's a, there's a, not a difficulty, let's call it a, a, a bit of a conundrum for Democrats running in a lot of these districts, which is the people who are Democrats, we are not conservatives. Mm. Um, in a lot of these counties, if you had a conservative bone in your body, it would be so much easier to be a Republican. So you probably are a Republican or at least a blank. Um, the people who are Democrats really believe in our principles. Um, so that is the base that these candidates have, but they have to appeal to voters who are, um, to the right of the base. I mean, this is always an issue. The, the base is always further out on the limb than, than, um, the candidate probably, but, um, it's it's a tricky thing not to depress your base while still appealing across the spectrum because you're not going to win without Republican votes in a lot of these districts. So one of the things we need to be really, really careful of in most of our districts is not to campaign in such a way that makes it difficult to for people to cross over for us. So we have to, yes, we have to appeal, have to appeal to people outside of our base and, and be aware of that. Judith, this has been a terrific conversation. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, fingers crossed for um, great, great turnout in November, this November and uh, wins in these districts for Democrats in New York. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about Long Island, just outside of New York City as a midterm battleground. Nassau and Suffolk counties are home to nearly 3 million people, and Long Island has become more democratic and diverse over time, but yet Republicans have experienced a recent resurgence there. Long Island is exactly the kind of suburban swing area that can determine control of the House in November. Lauren Corcoran Doolin is with us today. Lauren, thanks for joining us. Lauren, Thank you're you. a, so glad to be here. Thanks, Shannon. Yes, we're very excited. You are a Democratic activist from Nassau County. You've been involved in Democratic politics for many years. So, you know, we are so honored that you are with us. Let's start um, with kind of talking about the big picture. Three of the four House seats on Long Island are open. Um Yet the political environment there is very interesting. Democrats outnumber Republicans, but last year's local races were a real wake-up call for Democrats who lost races up and down the ballot across Long Island um, in a real red wave. What do you think was the lesson that Democrats learned from last year's election? I mean, I think it's simple. Good Democrats lose when good Democrats stay home. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone... Um, hearts in the right place. I think that um, 
the political trajectory of activism has actually been up over the last few years. I've been doing this for over two decades. Mm -hmm. And I actually, you know, would joke at times, welcome to the party, everyone. You know, I've been, uh, I've been really excited and enthusiastic. Most people will tell you I'm an enthusiastic activist. I really come from a positive place of what really means a lot to me and my family. And I, you know, I'm lifelong Long Islander. So I think I can speak to the fact of the charming pieces of Long Island and why we are so proud to like kind of get out and vote. But last year, uh, essentially, we were not prepared for a complete change in the electoral universe that did not show up, not the part that showed up necessarily, but the part that didn't show up on election day. And, um, you know, there's a lot of trends and a lot of different pieces to that. But I also do think issues are at the heart of it, too. Um, a, a lack of urgency of getting involved in the local elections could have been the case. Um, many times, you know, uh, we believe that Democrats really need real issues that affect them in their life to get out and vote um, in every election, not just like the uh, years like this where it's a state and federal year um, or the presidential years like two years ago, but that they really need a real meaningful reason to get out in those local races. Sometimes it does feel like, right, doesn't change our taxes, doesn't change, you know, these things that affect the bottom line to how we as parents and moms like me, you know, kind of run our homes and, you know, balance our checkbooks. And um, there was a lack of enthusiasm last year that I'm hoping has since changed. Um, and so I would say that it wasn't so much that um, the message, we know that the message was focused with a lot of funding on bail reform. Mm -hmm. uh, one specific issue that I feel um, definitely resonated in the Long Island messaging market. It's not just limited to that. Essentially, I do think there was a lack of enthusiasm mm -hmm. among issues that were speaking to actual Democrats here in Nassau and Suffolk County. So it's interesting that you talk about bail reform, because really that does seem to be the Republican simple playbook that they ran and won by fear mongering about crime. And it seems like they're still doing that. And the one thing that really stands out to me is that Nassau County for the second year in a row has been named the safest county in the United States by U.S. News and World Report. So clearly this isn't rooted in anything that's happening on the ground. It is literally just perception becomes reality. Um, do you think this this strategy is going to be as effective for Republicans this year as it so, was last year? Yeah, you know, I guess, you know, um, uh, issues are best fought with other issues, right? Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, there's always been a real meaningful way, reason for me to be involved in not just like state and federal politics, but local politics. You know, most of our decision and most of the the, the good hard earned tax money we're spending in the suburbs, this actually goes into our local government. So sometimes it is shocking to enthusiastic um, voters like myself who really never miss a local election year, why people aren't as engaged. But I do think that um, fast forward after last election, right? Democrats got a big wake up call. Democrats that are women got a big wake wake up call um, back in May and June when it was first leaked in May. And then in June, um, what uh, was uh, feared to happen for, you know, mm -hmm. pro-choice women like myself actually seemed to be coming, you know, front and center. Um, I myself am a 47 year old woman. I um, have always been proudly pro-choice. Um, I am 
was shocked, like mo- many people who even feel like they're a campaign and political insider, that we were really at this place in American history that we possibly could face the rollback of rights for our own choices over our body and those of our daughters and, and nieces and, and 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 future women. It was an interesting place. And I think issues are best fought with other issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so while they're very different issues, right, um, they both have a personal narrative that um, really tugs the heart of people, right? Um, most people move to the suburbs um, because they want to uh, raise their kids in a place that they're proud and, you know, feel, feel, feel good about. And um, I think that the narrative that has changed, and I've seen it as a democratic activist and just a regular civic-minded person, is that people certainly, though, care about their rights too. Voting mm-hmm. rights and um, and choice rights and rights over our body are on the line this year. And I think that that is resonating too. So issues are best fought with issues. People have different opinions, but opinions and issues definitely drive turnout. And I think that's what we're looking at. You know, midterm elections can sometimes be a little bit of a different turnout, obviously, than presidential election. So in being mindful of that, I think that there has been a turn up of activism based over those um, pieces. And a reminder, too, that we still face a uh, a gun crisis in America, which mm-hmm. is yet another issue that I know, you know, women and moms are talking to me about all the time and uh, really care about. Because, again, we're all kind of on this narrative, you know, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. Right. You care. You know, if you're part of the equation of caring, then like I want you to have the seat at the table. And I think many of us are really looking at these um, fundamental issues in a real pragmatic way. How do I keep my kids safe in their school? You know, how do I make sure that my daughter has the same rights that I enjoyed? Mm -hmm. Um, How do I make sure that voting is not an obstacle, but a right that's preserved and protected for everyone? I think those are going to be the driving factors, at least as I see it. You know, I can see them from my lens. And those are the three issues that I care so deeply about. Um, And I think that's a really important kind of dialogue that might change the turnout of this year and might actually change the way um, we actually see these swing districts in the suburbs. That seems to be the current thread in talking to people around the state is that really it's the preserving the freedoms that we have, you know, the freedom of choice, the freedom to be protected, you know, against gun violence, the freedom to have our, you know, kids educated and, you know, the way we want the freedom for education, all those kind of things do seem to resonate as well as protecting democracy. So it's interesting that this seems to be a current thread that's tying Democrats across the state together when it comes to these issues. Yep. And, uh, you know, I think, too, right, like, so um, we're coming up on, you know, this being the second election day since January 6th. Um, and uh, and I will say, you know, again, local elections don't really talk about um, certain aspects of that. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe where they did, I can't speak for every portion of the state or every campaign or I can only like tell you the lens that I'm looking through. But um, I think a lot of us were surprised that so many people stayed home after they saw the saw our democracy shook firsthand mm-hmm. on the news on that um, on that grave day of January sixth. And essentially, um, I think that that might resonate a little bit more in a state and federal election. Maybe because we're just we're not talking about right like the real specific local issues, but we're actually talking about. Uh, the preservation of democracy, which like you so well and eloquently said. Um, and I do think that ties into freedom mm-hmm. and just 
fundamental rights, right? That many of us, I think when we started on our activism um, and engagement kind of pieces of our trajectory did not think were controversial issues, you know, like preserving democracy feels like, right? Something that rolls off my tongue. (laughs) I'm super proud uh, to live in America. I'm a, you know, consider myself a person who would be a patriot. Um, and I thought preserving democracy and making sure fair and open elections happen mm-hmm. um, and then are are actually adhered to when the results come forth, um, I did not think um, was a controversial ideal. And I do think that that resonates with more people than, uh, than we probably think. And maybe the local elections last year weren't really connecting with that issue in the same way. I see. So broadly speaking, how do you think redistricting has changed the congressional districts on Long Island? Does it help or hurt Democrats on the whole? Yeah, you know, so, you know, redistricting is always an interesting kind of piece because you're really trying to, you know, talk about that. You know, I never try to look at it as a Democrat or Republican area, um, you know, but more a preservation of communities, right? Mm-hmm. Making sure that people have um, representation that reflects um who we are and who we are today um obviously census numbers you know are based on redistricting and they can obviously you know change and show us trends and here in Nassau County we saw in uh CD4 which is congressional district 4 it's actually the southern um old uh, Kathleen Rice seat if you will or it's soon to be the old in fairness to Congresswoman Rice she deserves her she's still our congresswoman and we're proud of that um uh did not change much to be perfectly honest with you we actually saw uh pretty much you know a very similar lines areas changed and uh you know there's always hopes that hey I believe this community is really um you know, like-minded with this other community, they were divided, but that's a normal kind of dialogue that happens in redistricting. Um, I would say that there was a lot of changes actually in Congressional District 3, which is the North Shore Nassau County District. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually, you know, for some time been uh, part of Queens and actually even went into Huntington and Suffolk County. Now it's no longer in Suffolk County. And if you will, it went along from the North Shore of Queens, the North Shore of Nassau County, and it instead stops now, doesn't go into Huntington anymore. And I think for Nassau County, this was the biggest change. Mm-hmm. And it actually hooks south Right. And it actually keeps it as only a two county district while it was previously a three county district. And it goes down to Massapequa, which is the South Shore, Western, I mean, uh, Eastern portion of Nassau County. Um, Registration wide, that it it did change that district. Right. So um, and if you look at registration populations, yes, that meant that less Democrats were in the district than previously. Um, That being said, you know, Regardless of redistricting, I think it's a competitive seat for 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 um, Long Islanders. I think it should be considered one of the most competitive seats in out of, you know, the four districts that make up Long Island. Um, It's actually, I think, uh, you know, a D plus four district. Mm -hmm. So that's not an overwhelming. Right. Like that's not like some some districts are D plus 36 in New York State. Unheard of to have those kind of. districts so this should be a pretty competitive one and i would imagine that uh 
it will the 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 population uh like it, it will reflect appropriately it will be a strong nassau county queen's voice should be shown in that um really easily uh the district for the fourth the congressional district held by rice now being run in by uh laura gillen as the democrat mm -hmm. and Esposito as the republican i think will be more competitive than years before mm -hmm. um kathleen rice had enjoyed you know kind of big numbers there. I think those, I think Zimmerman, if you will, and the Gillen um, races are like kind of the top two to watch mm. um, because they essentially um, are going to really capture what we saw was on the ballot last year, which means that we thought, hey, Nassau County is a democratic district. The county executive should win easily. There were times where I personally never saw a poll, but we were told that she was ahead well over 20 points yeah. at one point. Um, and uh, obviously that did not reflect in the turnout on election day. When we woke up on election day, Nassau County obviously had different plans that day. Whoa, that was a whoa moment. <laughs> whoa, expletive, right? <laughs> Let's talk about New York one, which uh, is the district where Lee Zeldin is vacating his seat to run for governor. Um, it's an interesting district because it's really evenly split between Biden and Trump voters. Now, um, Democrat Bridget Fleming faces Republican Nick LaLota in November. What do you think of the chances that Democrats can pick up the seat? So, you know, listen, I'm without a doubt the most positive Democrat you'll meet. So I want to disclose that to everyone that I tend to be a little more enthusiastic and a little more hopeful. Right. I like that. I, I, I'm i all for that. than anyone else. Um, but I I'm going to really go um, out on a limb here and say that I truly believe that more is in play than people realize and that there is a shot here for Bridget Fleming, not because she's, you know, she's a great candidate. And and and, and that part's really um, it, it, it's always great to have a great candidate. But I do think that people are really going to care about the House and how that affects them as people and them about the rights again, getting back to it, that you know, they have and they get to make over their um, over their bodies. And I do think that that's going to be a driving force in this fall election. And it's not just because I'm hopeful that it will be, because I don't ever feel comfortable um, in a being in a place where our rights are being rolled back. Right. Or feel as if we're losing something. Um, but I do think that most people, I think, had always kind of believed that, yes, for some people, uh you know, choice rights could be a polarizing issue for some, but for the most part, people never thought they were going to lose them. And I do think that uh, that that this actually would fall with a great woman candidate who is a great pro-choice candidate is a good match for that district. Um, and I do think that uh, she's you know she's out there connecting with with folks. And again, I do believe that this is going to be a driving factor in that specific um, uh, race. I don't think every race has the same issues that they're really uh, considering or, or really thoughtful about, but I do think that's a driving factor. Having a pro-choice woman candidate should actually uh, put us in a place that makes that far more competitive seat than most people probably believed last January. That's great. Now, I want to um, go back and talk about New York 3 and 4, which you mentioned previously, but New York 3, that's the Robert Zimmerman is the Democrat and the Republican is George Santos. 
who is a right winger who was at the Stop the Steal rally in D.C., um, that's a Biden 54% district. What do you think? I mean, y- you said that three and four were, you know, pretty competitive. What do you think is the key to a democratic victory? We were just talking about one, but what about in three? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I would kind of say the same. I mean, one is, is that, uh, I think Robert Zimmerman has, uh, you know, it was a competitive primary too. So people are woken up to that district. They're engaged, right? They had a lot of different candidates, many great candidates, actually, that were competitively vying to be um, in the position that Robert Zimmerman is in today. And I think that actually awoke up the Democratic base early. I like when that happens. I actually enjoy competition. I actually think that, you know, that dialogue very focused on like what you and I keep coming back to talking about the fundamental pieces that I believe are on the ballot. Right. You know, fighting for our democracy and preserving it. Right. Fighting for the freedom and choice over our bodies. Right. And absolutely positively. Right having a real conversation about safety in our schools that roots back to, right, what are we going to do with guns? I think those pieces on the ballot. Robert Zimmerman won that primary. I think he engaged the Democratic base early. I think they are far more engaged right now than probably um, the other base of the other, you know, kind of party. And I think that's going to help get him into a good position. But turnout, turnout, turnout. It's going to be about talking about issues that really matter to people and who shows up on Election Day. Um, I think most of us um, have PTSD if you're a Democratic activist that was uh, crying in your coffee or tea the next morning (laughs) last year because you did believe that, you know, um, the Democrats, you know, were doing good things by their county government. I think for those of us here in Nassau County, we were really thoughtful um, of saying, hey, we have to look at ourselves too. Where did we get into this position that we were finding that there was a lot of confidence in leadership here, but it wasn't translating to votes, right? And that's the equation here, right? Um, One of my favorite quotes is, you know, about politics. I believe uh, I get to attribute it to Hillary uh, Rodham Clinton, the former secretary and senator here in New York, but um, it's that politics is about addition, not subtraction, right? Mm -hmm. You have to make gains every day. And, um, And then turnout, you know, throws you for another equation is which what makes and delivers the victory on election day. And reminder to anyone listening, you can vote early in New York. Right, right. Um, Early voting is really key, right? And engaging early. And I do also think that that's actually really important. In a couple of weeks, polls will be open, right? So there's no time like the present to research the candidates that you want to choose, right? Really think about what's on your ballot. We know what's on the ballot in the state of New York. We know what's on the ballot in different kind of parts of the country. But what do you want your vote to mean? Have that conversation with yourself. Have that very meaningful dialogue with the most important person in your life, which is yourself, and say, what's important to me? What's important to my family? Every election in the history of America has really been decided by those very key questions. Those questions that say, how is my family doing right now? How is my rights in order, what's personal to me. And if you answer those questions, then you should be pretty motivated at this point, more so than almost any other time in American history to get out and vote. Because I do think some of the most personal things are on the ballot in 2022. 
One of the things I recently heard too that I loved it is they said, think of the election as a car. If you want to go forward, put it in D. And if you want to go backwards, put it in R. <laughs> I do think we get to attribute that to uh, my dear friend and New York State Party Chairman, Jay, Jay Jacobs. Jacobs. Yes, uh, yes. But I have heard the speech before and I uh, proudly uh, get to uh, share share my county uh, with, uh, with, with Chairman Jacobs. It's uh, great. I, and it's I do so agree. I, I do like to put things in drive. And I do think, listen, progress is on the back. Ballot, right. It's great to attribute Jay to that. And he um, he certainly tells that story uh, well, 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 more and more appropriately than I do about putting it in D. But, you know, progress for all of those of us that have been fighting as activists. Right. For, you know, more than two decades, I think most of us came to this because we wanted to see progress in our communities. Sometimes it's as simple as that we looked around our communities. We saw that we were super proud of the diversity um, that was reflective, but it wasn't showing up at the polls or it wasn't showing up on our um, on 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 the dais at the county legislature or up in Albany, right, in elected office. And we really got involved in this process because we wanted to be the change that we wanted to see. We wanted to make sure that everyone was getting their fair shot at being sort of represented. That's what redistricting is supposed to be about. And that's why I think that this year we will see a real, you know, sort of like progress and not going in reverse is on the ballot, like kind of Chairman Jacob says, because I'm going to be honest with you, when I woke up, you know, on that May morning and found out that it was real and true, right, that the Supreme Court was actually looking to do something that I didn't imagine was ever going to be um, really happen in my lifetime. I mean, even I, as a democratic activist, had kind of taken my choice rights for granted. And now at the age of 47, if you told 27-year-old Lauren or 17-year-old Lauren that um, just the ability for her to make her own healthcare decisions would be on the line in her lifetime, um, she would have, you know, probably uh told to told you off and said i can't imagine and what did you do wrong older lauren that we would be here and i think it's really not about what we've done wrong it's about just showing up to vote and 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 realizing that we have to connect the most vital rights to our very most personal self mm -hmm. right and translate into actually getting up and getting out in, of course, our local elections last year. Um, but maybe that was the wake up call we needed in retrospect to say, hey, listen, this year the House is on the line. And what does that mean? The House is on the line. That means my my voting rights are on the line. Right. The House is on the line. Maybe that means my choice rights are on the line. The House is on the line. Maybe that means my democracy and the ability to know that an election and a vote will actually be adhered to after election day, just like, you know, our founding mothers and fathers really intended it to be, which is what makes America great is the fundamental fact that we can't vote. So much on the line, that's for sure. Just going back to New York for, uh, again, just touching upon it, that was the Kathleen Rice district that uh, you referenced earlier. Uh, that's where Democrat Laura Gillen is running against Republican Anthony um, Desposito, do you think that Gillen is kind of in the same situation that Fleming is, that it helps her because she's a woman at this time running? Yeah, I mean, she's a great candidate. So let's just start there. Um, she's a fighter. 
And she's proven that, I think, to the like general electorate that she has already served. Um, she's made history before. She was actually the only uh, the only Democrat to win in like 112 years in town of Hempstead. And I do think that, uh, yes, I think um, I think that there might be on the ballot this year, there might be a feeling that the people that um that that women might be more motivated to get out to vote and feel more comfortable sending to Washington other women to protect their body and their choice. That that was that was actually one of the last questions I wanted to ask you. You know, you're you're saying it's important that Democrats vote and it's that old saying, you know, when Democrats vote, Democrats win. Who else do we need to bring out in order sure, to that's it? That's it actually the best question. I actually thank you for that because I think we're not talking about that enough. And I think we're actually um, and I'll even like say my, you know, uh, you know, my thought here is that I have to do better to remember that it is not just the choice issues of Democratic women on the line here. Mm -hmm. And it is not just the choice issues of Democratic fathers and mothers and their daughters and their children on the line. This is every American, right? This is literally Republican women's bodies are in the same situation as mine is. And we need to remember that. And I do think that you might find that they might say, listen, I fundamentally, you know, like Lauren, I meet her at the corner store and she's great, but I, I don't agree with her on everything. And, and many of my friends don't, frankly, and mm -hmm. that's okay. But do they want to see a world where they have to ask the question of what choice they have over their own health care rights, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that you ask a great question because I'd like to think that, hey, we're not going to get every Democratic woman vote. For the record, we don't get 100% of Democrats votes. We like to think we do, but we don't, you know. Um, people register how they register. Sometimes they don't re-register again over a lifetime and their ideals change and 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 what speaks to them changes, and that's okay. Um, but I do imagine that there is more than just Democratic women that are really thinking about these issues in a personal way. And I do think that they might be the the, the folks who actually might be the game changer on election day, right? That that might be, you know, where where you gather the the extra four percent, right? Mm -hmm. In a Zimmerman plus four. Well, right. what's the four percent, right? What what puts um Robert Zimmerman over the edge over Santos? Is it that? Is it that people say, hey, listen, I need to take this step on this one vote in this one year because I think that the Supreme Court went too far. Right. As simple as that. Um, and so I do think that we might welcome some votes there. And, you know, I, I certainly don't speak for Republican women, but I can certainly say that I can't imagine that, uh, you know, party issues aside, that women everywhere of every background and every party registration aren't considering um these vital um, these vital issues that 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 might that 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 might make them feel like they 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 just need to go in a different direction on this coming election day. So Lauren, in closing, I want to ask um, a traditional activist-centric question, which is, what's the call to action? What can people listening to the podcast do to help make a difference in these districts? Because clearly we have illustrated that winning these seats 
all across Long Island are of national importance. I mean, Democrats must yep. hold the House. Our freedoms are at stake. The key is in all these districts in, in New York, we can't fumble the ball here at home. We all have to do what we can. What's the answer? So, I mean, number one, right, if you are an enthusiastic Democrat, right, and you are somebody that really, really is super engaged, I'm going to tell you something that many people don't want to hear. The best endorsement to your neighbor is you. It's not me. It's not the elected official down the block who they've maybe met at a, you know, at a picnic here and there. You are the most trusted endorsement in the life of your community. You are the most trusted endorsement in the life of your circle. Please get out, go sign into a campaign headquarters and knock some doors and make sure that they're the doors of your neighbors and your friends and your cohort. Because you know what? It sends the best message. Nobody is a more trusted endorsement than you. And I would say, of course, get out and vote. Make sure that you make a plan to vote. You know, we've you know, we've talked about a lot over the last few years about making a plan to vote. Um, but I'm going to go one further with the plan. Have that conversation with yourself. Right. Like if 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 the 2022 election is at minimal about self-care. Right. <laughs> and um, and, and self-care is about really like looking after you and your family. Mm. Take five minutes. Right. You know, how many times do we put together a to do list? Right. Just a regular shopping list for for our family before we go to the supermarket or anything like that. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family about voting. Who is really speaking to the most important values that are literally going to matter for your life now? in the next year, the next five years, 10 years, and what kind of community and country do you want to be a part of? Um, that's on the line this year. You know, you always hear from like people like me and Shannon that'll tell you, oh, this is the most important election of our lifetime. And it does feel like it gets harder every time. So that's kind of true. But what's really more important is how is it important to you and your family? You do so much for your family every single day. We know that New Yorkers are amazing people. We know New York City... New Yorkers are amazing people and every piece of this state and Long Island are try to think to yourself what's important to you, then make your plan to vote. So I'm asking you to take that extra step. What's in it for you? What can you do for you and your family that matters to you the most about the part of the community and the piece of of the future of this great country that you want to be part of and then go shopping for your candidates and then make sure you execute that by a vote. And New York State has made right great changes in the voting system. You can vote early. You can make sure that you make a plan to vote. If you, you know, are used to working on election day and running around and it's always been super hard, um, then you can vote early. You also have the option, right, to um to get absentee ballots to friends and family and like-minded people like yourself that might be able to uh can't be home for election day or in a different county or something, but still want to execute their 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 values and implement their their vote on election day right like my two college age kids who have applied exactly for ballots don't forget if you have kids don't like forget. that or family members please remind all of them lauren this was a great way to end the podcast i i, I appreciate you joining us today it's been a wonderful conversation fingers crossed for great outcomes all across long island and thank you so much 
Oh, thank you. And honestly, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. I'm a, I'm a nobody in this. Um, oh, you're a big, but you're, you're a big person. Come on. Like I, I'm at, listen, at the end of the day, <laughs> you know, I say the same thing about me as I was saying about, you know, anyone else, the most important endorsement, right. Is me to my neighbors and friends. Right. So we should all be going out there and knocking a couple doors. <laughs> We're all big, important people. We are important Absolutely. to ourselves, Absolutely. our families, our communities. So, uh, you know, thank you for being an important person and uh, and a role model and, you know, um, to many people, it really matters. So thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks for listening to Indivisible Westchester, the podcast. I'm Shannon Powell. Be sure to get out and vote blue this November.